This is All People Are Crazy, a reverent discussions on how to cope with being a perfectly normal crazy person. These conversations are to nudge your curiosity about mental health, fill in any gaps in your knowledge, and encourage you to make the difficult deal of taking your own advice. This podcast series includes adult concepts, explicit language, discussions of mental health, mental illness, suicide, trauma, violence, drugs, and sex, but generally not all at the same time. Please be gentle with yourself and remember to seek support if you need it, starting with family and friends, your general practitioner, and in Australia Lifeline from 13, 11, 14. Hello, Lisa Downs. How are you today? Hello, Tom. And hello, everyone. Welcome to All People Are Crazy. I am Welcome. Lisa Downs. I'm joined by Australian psychologist and my friend of 23 years, Tom Lothian. Hello, Tom. Hello. Phoning hello. it in from the... Uh, a tiny room full of sleeping bags yet again. It's uh, yep, excellent. Yeah, the Harry Potter closet. I love it. Audio space, even if it's not exactly comfortable or pretty. <laughs> but uh, you know, anything, anything for the peeps, right? It's about uh, it's about pumping out that good quality audio. <laughs> hey, so last time we caught up, we spoke about therapy and what that is really all about, and how to get the most out of your therapy sessions. Uh, should you go down this path? So that was great, very helpful, very productive, very informative. Today, <laughs> I'm really excited. Oh God. Today is much more entertaining. <laughs> uh, I'm worried about whether I will need a therapist after this because today, and strap yourself in, folks, we're going to hear Tom's sex talk. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, Tom, <laughs> how much am I going to blush through this? So as a starting point, perhaps let's think about why we're even doing this in the first place. So I think it's important to talk about sex uh, for two reasons. Uh, Firstly, I think it's directly important. I think good sex can be great, and I think really bad sex can be traumatizing. So it's a good idea to nudge things in the direction of good uh, and certainly away from the direction of traumatizing. And also, as the young people in our lives, whether they're our kids or other young people who are coming to us, uh, have an interest and a growing interest in sex, I think it's really important to be able to have those conversations in a way that works for you as the person having the conversation and that works for the young person. And I mean, the reason why I have a sex talk is one, everybody should have a sex talk in their head to be able to either give themselves or to others uh, when needs be. Uh, But like anything else, the more you practice, the easier a thing gets. And I've had like runs of this at different times in my career where I just find myself talking to either teenagers or children, occasionally adults, uh, about sex and the nature of sex, kind of delivering some simple sex education, uh, but I suppose particularly taking like a healthy sex uh, approach to, to these things. Uh, so yes, one of the uh, the excellent pieces of wisdom I received very early in my career is that the first time you talk about compulsive masturbation, you're likely to blush quite a lot. But the 15th time, you can like plan dinner while you're doing it. And that has turned out to be true. Wow. Wackadoo. That's a sentence I did not know we'd been saying today. Okay, Tom, take it away. (laughs) We've already launched him with compulsive masturbation. Let's start from the top. Let's just wind it back a bit. Let's start with that. Just feel like everything turns into a dick joke under these circumstances. And let's just do the best we can to maintain is it a single entendre as opposed to turning everything into a double entendre. But that's that's all right. We'll, we'll just progress through this at whatever pace we can progress through it. Uh, so sex, sexy fun times is potentially great and often not so much. Uh, and the reason why I talk about this with lots of people in a variety of circumstances is to help demystify sex is a bit of a concept uh, and to ensure as best as we can that people reduce their risk of getting pregnant or contracting diseases both of which can be very undesired uh, and also to start steering folks in the directions of delightful healthy sex uh, which I think is a very desirable trait. Now importantly when I'm talking about sex I really mean any intimate contact Right. So folks, when we talk about sex, most folks will immediately think of penises and vaginas. That's an important. Oh, God. Lisa's done already. And that's an important part of it. And it's particularly important as far as 
uh, pregnancy is concerned and as far as you know, contracting some diseases is concerned. Uh, but of course, sex is much broader than that. And a lot of folks will fixate on when exactly am I a virgin and when exactly am I not a virgin. And that is a delightful, fairly adolescent piece of neurosis uh, that is divine in its own way and an important question for us all to answer. But you got to keep in mind that sex is an incredibly diverse experience because people are incredibly diverse. There'll be some folks who do their sex only on the internet, or there'll be some folks who do their sex uh, without ever doing penetration of any kind because they either emotionally or by stint of their preferences or physically not capable of doing those things or not interested in doing those things. And yes, there's plenty of folks out there who will, oh, I'm just going to say, whack away in the missionary position, uh, which is, you know, like... I mean, that's fine as long as that works for you. But again, it's good to be creative and open and interested as far as the nature of sex and what it is. So if you feel that you've been close and intimate uh, with another person or other people, then you've had sex. You've had some form of sex. Is that the virginity? Well, look, I mean, we don't have like a licensing system for virginity anywhere as best as I can tell. I mean, maybe there are obscure systems of government or bureaucracy that uh, show a great deal of interest in this. Uh, but by and large, certainly in Australia, from where uh, we're having this conversation, uh, it's a private matter. And so if it's a label that works for you, feel free to adopt it. And if it's a label that doesn't work for you, feel free to not adopt it. Uh, so perhaps we should start with the kind of important points around getting pregnant or moreover, not getting pregnant, uh, which is yeah. a high priority. Uh, so fun fact uh, is there's been some amazing research done into the provision of sex education uh, and how effective or ineffective that is. Uh, so we've had different kind of big cultural conversations in different countries at different times over whether we should be preaching abstinence uh, to kids or whether we should be providing them with a lot of information. The big data would suggest that the more information you provide to young people, the less likely they are to have sex the less likely they are to get pregnant and the less likely they are to contract uh, venereal disease, sexually transmitted infections. Uh, so kind of two case studies here uh, in the United States of America at different times, uh, there have been strong pushes to teach an abstinence-only version of sex. Uh, and that turns out doesn't stop teenagers from being horny you don't say. Because that's what <laughs> teenagers are for in large parts. Uh, and we contrast that with the experience of teenagers in Holland, uh, the Netherlands, where there is a very free, open conversation about sex and sexual health. Uh, and the point at which people first uh, engage in penetrative sex in Holland, it turns out, is later than it is in America. The use of contraception is higher. Uh, and as a result, the rate of unwanted teen pregnancy is lower and the rate of sexually transmitted infection is a lot lower as well. Uh, so I'm a big advocate for have open conversations. Parents, if you're out there, uh, or the grown-ups in children's lives, if you're out there, uh, if your kids are starting to show interest, insects, where babies come from, what is this about, how does it work, have that conversation, right? As soon as they're showing interest. Oh, right. What <laughs> sort of conversation? Because I feel like that's a broad range there. We've got... Where do babies come from? Like, yep. you know, when a kid is six. Yes. We very, you know, compared to uh later. What is bondage? So yeah, exactly. Not sort of having, <laughs> having when and you know, to That's what extent. It. That is an excellent point. And essentially I think meeting the child's interest. So if the question is uh, where do babies come from, then talk about reproduction, right? Of which sex is a part, but it's not the only part, clearly. Uh, and so, like, swat up on that if you need to. Again, a lot of folks, like, were raised in eras where this information was not widely disseminated. And so if you need to, like, Wikipedia that up, feel free. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, most governments will have some form of sensible sexual health education available in a curated and official manner. Uh, and certainly in Australia, we have the Raising Children's Network, uh, which is an excellent website and it covers a whole wide range of topics on children's health and parenting, I believe, including sex education. I'll double check that before this goes out. Um, but that's uh, look one of the resources that I'll whack in the uh, the notes uh, for, for this show is the Raising Children's whacking. Network. There's so much whacking in this episode. Ah, again, everything's <laughs> a dick joke. 
Um, yeah, but equally, you don't then need to move into, I don't know, the nature of consent and power and hand jobs, right? If your kids want to know where babies come from, that's the conversation to have. And as kids evolve in their interest and understanding of sex and the nature of what it is, that's your conversation can evolve as well. And that's likely to take several years. So yeah, you don't need to jump into the like Russell Brand version of hypersexuality right from the get-go. It's not a primary school thing necessarily. Okay, but this advice is currently being based around the fact that kids are going to come and ask you questions. Yes. What about if your kids or people in your sphere, young people, aren't proactively asking you questions? Then that's okay. Yeah, again, I think like like... when do we need to, you're like, we've got to give them more information. So when is that happening? Yeah. So, Lou, I think if your child shows, absolutely no interest in reproduction or sex that would be kind of interesting and unusual uh and if they're like oh i'm just going to give a back of the envelope answer and say eight right but again like here my upward inflection there this isn't a number based on any real certainty uh i mean apart from anything else certainly in the victorian school system where i'm working uh schools are bringing this conversation to children as young as six uh, and so, you know, talking about reproduction and like genitalia and private parts is a really important thing that they talk about in schools because what they want to start getting in front of as far as kids are concerned is they want to start getting in front of kids touching each other inappropriately, uh, that it is uh, an important conversation for folks to get used to, right? When to keep your hands to yourself and what not to touch in another person's body. What are private parts essentially? Yeah. And that's an important conversation right. to be having essentially around social skills. Okay, but like I would have rather knife myself in both my eyes rather than chat to my parents about anything relating to sex. And they, I think my mum handed me over a book at one point and yeah. sent me off to read about it, uh, you know, before I got my first period. But is that like what? Ah, <laughs> uh, the 80s. I know, the 80s is amazing time. And I miss sex education. So, like, I was at one school for seven mm. and eight when they did it in years eight and nine and <laughs> and then they done sex ed in year seven and eight. So, I mean, I'm blissfully unaware. I've had zero sex education. Being self-exploratory, Tom, <laughs> what a university was for. Well, but my point look, being, if kids yeah. aren't wanting to start these conversations themselves, yep. when's a parental trigger to, like, do they sit down and have the chat? At a teenage type thing, like let's just oh, okay. skip over the primary school section. Yeah, because, well, again, I think kids in primary schools, in the same way that they're all likely to go through a phase where they're interested in trains and they're interested in dinosaurs, uh, even as part of observing animals in their different forms, kids are going to try and figure out where these animals actually come from. Okay, the chicken comes out of the egg. But how did the egg get in there in the first instance? And what's the difference between an egg with a chicken in it as opposed to an egg that we eat for breakfast? Uh, like, that's not an unusual kind of chain of questioning for literally any child to engage in at some stage. Uh, and if your child is showing absolutely no interest in these things, firstly, there's no rush, right? We all grow up at our different rates. I personally was what I think is technically called a late bloomer. Uh, and that's not inherently problematic, right? And again, I talking to my dad about this stuff, I think I showed a vague biological interest in the reproduction of animals at like five apparently he gave me a talk about reproduction and sex at that time of which i have no memory because i it was probably just as important to me as what i had for lunch that day which i also don't remember uh, a chicken, a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear god yeah so again meeting your child in their language at their level of interest and watching them in that conversation right to see how far you need to go, right? Do you need to talk about consent in bondage relationships for a six-year-old who's asking about where baby cows come from? No, you don't need to get into that. Uh, if you're talking with a teenager who is sexualizing, uh, and starting to get very interested in attraction and consent and everything else. Yeah, I mean, that may be a pathway you go down. And bondage is a relatively extreme example, although I will note actually a group within society that is very big on consent, right? Like it's as when done well, uh, this is an incredibly open, respectful and sensible discussion 
of sex and the boundaries thereof because the you know the costs are potentially quite high if it goes badly you have an amazing look on your face in this moment lisa how's this going for you my specific question was (laughs) and like people can be forgiven for not actually knowing where we are because we've just ended up with bondage and that group and community my specific question was for parents of teenagers not children yeah when is the time if they're not coming to speak to you directly when is the time and what like when is the time to come and have a chat to them and how might people go about that i mean i think realistically it's already too late to be providing information like if that if you got a 12 year old who is sexualizing or a 13 year old who is sexualizing they're not sexualizing yet when is the time to have a chat to teenagers oh as soon as they show any interest but a teenager is sexualizing because they're adolescent Right, so adolescence is a time where there is sexual development, right? Like sex hormones are starting to change and pump through the body in different ways. You're going to get secondary sex characteristics are really starting to um, come out. So like women grow boobs and men grow facial hair and their voices will break, uh, at which point sexual impulses are likely to start happening in the vast majority of kids. And the reason why I say that's too late is if you haven't already had any discussion around sex, the reason for that is your child has self-educated using pornography. And that is terrible sex education. Just grossly inaccurate. No, 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 hold up. No, 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 no. So it's not that people haven't had any conversation. They might have had some base level conversations. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you're doing me an all or nothing here. When is the chance for people and how might they go about approaching it to have a teenage sex chat? I think the more comfortable the parent is, the more open and willing the young person, let's say, is going to be to hopefully come to parents. Uh, But certainly, you you mentioned, you know, having a a book provided to you uh, on the cusp of getting your first period. Uh, That is absolutely a time to be engaging in broader conversations around, yes, growing bodies and menstruation and hygiene and also sex, right? That that's a really important time in a girl's development as she starts moving into womanhood to, to be raising that. And equally with boys, right? As boys start to have their voices break. Uh, they're perhaps growing facial hair. They get stinky, unfortunately, at that age as well. Why are they going to start wearing deodorant where perhaps they didn't need to before? Yeah, by all means, watch the biology of your young person's situation. Uh, hopefully, you're also throughout all of their childhood up until that point, setting an expectation in your kids that they can come to you with any question, weird, wonderful, or otherwise. Uh, and that you will do your best to answer it or help them answer it. Uh, And that is not always easy, right? Like if you are a step-parent of a child or you're a kinship carer of a child, there can be a lot of barriers to having that easy, open relationship. So again, looking for the signs that the child is developing and that the physical needs of that child or the physical wants of that child might be heading in the direction of greater physical intimacy with other people, right? Sexual intimacy with other people. Yeah. Go early would be my encouragement. Uh, And of course, if you are rippling with anxiety, which the vast, vast majority of parents are, and look, the first time I had these conversations with my clients, I found it very anxiety provoking as well. And it's only through the brutal process of repetition uh, that I found it increasingly easy. Yeah, good to either rehearse that conversation as many times as you need to until all the giggles are out of it uh, or to whatever, use your village, right? No parent needs to do everything. Every takes a village to raise a child. And so if you've got someone in your village who is particularly good or comfortable or whatever and having that kind of conversation, you're allowed to use that as well, right? You don't have to do everything yourself in parenting land. Amazing. Okay, that was good. Well done. Does that give you... (laughs) The yes, answer to the sex an question. Yeah, Again, this really highlights the value early. as to why I should talk with another person rather than just saying all the words in my head because it just comes out as a garbled tangential mess. Thank <laughs> you, Lisa. Like, I, yeah, putting, putting order right. to my chaos. <laughs> all right. So talk to us about the, then about uh, getting pregnant. We sort of started having chat, mm-hmm. getting pregnant, contraception, STIs. Excellent. So like I mentioned it, I think in the previous session, in the context of uh, getting therapeutic resources, and I'll talk about it again in the context of contraception 
and even sexually transmitted diseases is you want to have a good relationship with a general practitioner. And I tell you, at adolescence, right, so as you're moving into a sexualized state of life, incidentally, if you're not having sex in your adolescence, right, if you're not having sex in high school, that's okay. Right? There's no shame in waiting longer or not having the opportunity until later in life. It's a completely normal thing. Uh, and so, for instance, the comedian Tina Fey talks about not losing her virginity until she was 25 years old. And that that's fine, right? That was just the way she was and the person she was and the people she was with. Uh, it wasn't a thing that made sense for her. So I will keep using the language of tying sexuality to adolescence because it is, let's be blunt, a very horny time in lots of people's lives. Uh, but importantly, feel free to go late. That's okay, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and while a lot of folks will build up a high anxiety around sex and build it up as this amazingly important thing, for some folks, it becomes a fantastic and transformational experience. And for others, not so much. Right. For others, it's hopefully a nice thing that they get to do with a person or people that they like very much uh, in the same way that they get to like share meals or have other parts of relationships as well. Right. Everything in its context, embracing the diversity of human experience. Right. There's no one way to do any of this stuff. Uh, so the general practitioner, let me look back to that. The general practitioner in the Australian healthcare system is good at lots of different things. And importantly, sexual health is one of them. So there are lots of different options when it comes to contraception. I am a big fan of condoms uh, and I'm a big fan of condoms because they are very protective against sexually transmitted infections, as well as being protective of getting pregnant, right? So the condom will hold the sperm in the condom reservoir, uh, instead of allowing it to move into the woman's uterus where it can inseminate her, where she can get pregnant. Keep in mind, a boy does not need to ejaculate in order to release semen, right? There's what's called pre-cum. Uh, and so if you are engaging in alternative forms of contraception, like the old pull-out technique, uh, which was advocated heavily by the Catholic Church at one point. Um, yeah, that is, look, uh, that is a, like a funner version of Russian roulette, right? So there's, there's a lot of risk attached to that. Of course, you are in no way protected from sexually trans transmitted infection uh, under that circumstance. Uh, and yeah, just because you haven't ejaculated inside another person doesn't mean they're not at a risk of getting pregnant. Uh, so look, kind of timing-based methods of contraception, right? The Billings method was the, the kind of uh, version in Australia. Uh, live happy in the knowledge that the Billingses uh, who involved the timing method, where the theory is that if you have sex at different times uh, in the month, you are at a lower risk of pregnancy. Uh, and the Billings had eight children. Uh, <laughs> and look, maybe that's because they knew exactly when uh, yeah, they would have had 20 children Mrs. otherwise. Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Billings was fertile. Uh, and so they deliberately had eight kids. Yeah, maybe. Also, <laughs> there's an alternative hypothesis, which is that timing methods, like anything else, are at best an average uh, and at worst completely random uh, and so yes when it comes to getting pregnant as a desired state again go and see a doctor it's a, a good thing to do uh, the window for fertility isn't open all the time for all women uh, but in the context where we don't want to have babies better to not do that and instead use at least one form of contraception. So while I will absolutely bang the drum for condoms, of which I'm a big fan, uh, look, some people complain about a lack of sensitivity. Uh, and along that line, let me suggest that the biggest sexual organ that all people have sits between your ears, right? It's all about the mind and the connection and the feelings attached to it, right? Mm -hmm. Mindless, emotionless sex is, again, it's a great pornographic fantasy and it seems like you can be completely safe and powerful and gratified in all ways and it is utter bullshit uh if you want to have really great healthy sex it's all about attunement to either the person or people with whom you are having a delightful time mm. and so watching the process being attentive to yourself being attentive to others Noting that the first several times you do this, you're likely to be highly anxious because when you do anything new and important the first time, you're going to be highly anxious. It's what's called an adjustment anxiety. And it's a universal trait, not only in humans, but in all animals. Anytime we put an animal, any animal, 
in a new environment and sex is a new environment, that animal reacts with an anxiety response. Uh, and that can have a big impact on your ability to do sex in the way that you probably want to do sex as a horny teenager. Uh, and so this is an important point when it comes to picking a sexual partner. I'll right, we'll jump forward just a little bit into healthy sex. I'm going to suggest that firstly, if you're not ready to talk with your partner about contraception, then you're not ready to have sex and you're certainly yeah, not ready to have sex with them. Yes. And if you're not ready to have your sexual performance fail, right? So for guys to have erectile dysfunction, like to not be able to sustain an erection, uh, for women to dry up or experience what's called vaginismus, which can be pain in the vagina, uh, then you need a person or people who are going to be able to support you in that instance. Because again, when we come back to it, sex is a much more diverse experience than penises and vaginas, right? There's lots of ways to gratify yourself and others and have a delightful time. And it's not all about putting a penis in a vagina, right? Like that can be great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but you want to think outside the box, pun intended. <laughs> I, that's very good. I hey, like that. Hey, hey. Uh, it also just occurred to me that I should have, uh, when we go back and pre-edit, I'd really like to let people know that they can play a drinking game along with this thing. And every time you say penises and vaginas, uh, everyone can have a drink. Um, yeah. Also pun intended, because I feel like it's going to be a big one. <laughs> pun All right, intended. okay, no, that's very good. I like that we've moved forward to healthy relationships. I thought that was a very, very good tip about if you're not ready to have those hard conversations with someone, then it's not the right time yet. It's not necessarily that it's the wrong person. It's that you might want to buy yourself a little bit more time and get to know them better mm -hmm. to feel a bit more comfortable so that you do work your way through into that space where you feel comfortable yep. enough to fail. So um, that is a great tip. Oh, that is a lovely way of expressing that, by the by. Yeah, comfortable <laughs> failure is I think it's a really important yeah. concept in sex. And like anything else, practice makes perfect. Uh, so, you know, it's a team sport sex uh and so like yeah work with your team and you're going to need to practice and train and you're going to screw it up pun intended uh several <laughs> times along the way uh and that's fine and look maybe maybe you get some hollywood version of transformational hyperorgasmic sex in your first outing i mean i think that's highly improbable but you know, even improbable things happen to some people sometimes. And importantly, those are more likely to be the stories that are told, right? Because who wants to go out and discuss their amazing first time having sex where she couldn't lubricate, he couldn't get it up, and then everyone felt anxious and cried in a corner. Like that's, no one wants to buy that story. No one's putting that on Instagram. <laughs> Uh, Instagram. Okay, so we've moved forward to sexually, to starting to chat about sexually healthy relationships mm -hmm. and sexually healthy, even interactions, yeah. if they're not even necessarily going to be longer term relationships. But so then, uh, and feel free if we haven't unpacked um, STIs enough, but yeah. moving forward to consent Ooh, and nice like one. the insecurity that sometimes means that people don't uh, fully verbalize their consent or feel their consent. Yep. Talk me through this little minefield. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that if you're having attuned, attentive sex, so sex where two people or more than two people, depending on your interest, pay attention to each other, then the my kind of baseline for this is everyone should be having fun. And if they're having fun, then they're there for the right reasons. And if they're not having fun, that is a concern. And you've got to keep in mind that in any given relationship, right, we'll just use two people because it's an easier example, but it plays out equally in like groups of larger than two. Uh, in any given uh, couple, right, two people, someone is likely to have more power or more confidence or more presence in any given situation. And sex is another version of this. So this is a conversation I have quite a lot with like, 15-year-old adolescent young women. Um, so apart from anything else, um, in the emotional development of adolescents, uh, social skills in young women have a tendency to leap forward as a part of adolescence, whereas adolescent boys have a tendency to jump backwards. And so while we see in, let's say, 11-year-olds, a pretty good match in the social skills between boys and girls. Again, these are all generalizations, and so none of it holds for every, every specific individual. Yeah. Yeah. But as a generalization, uh, we see 11-year-olds relatively well-matched socially, 
And then we see 14-year-olds incredibly poorly socially matched because all of a sudden the young women are functioning at a level that is more adjacent to like a 16-year-old young man. And so not surprisingly, a lot of 15, 16-year-old young women are very emotionally interested in like young men who are older than them, which is not inherently problematic, except that what it does also is open up a bit of a power differential often, uh, where the young man is in a greater position of power than the young woman. Apart from anything else, if he's physically larger than her, which statistically is likely to be the case, uh, then he's in a position of physical dominance. And so again, recognizing the power you hold in a situation is a really important part of consent. And checking in, again, this can be done in a fun, delightful, and attuned way. It's not all about signing consent forms and reducing this to bureaucratic awfulness. There's very little that's sexy about forms. In fact, if you do find forms sexy, then congratulations, you're going to have a very interesting life. Uh, But most people, not so much. And so while there's a great deal of anxiety about making sure there's consent and checking in and all that side of things, ultimately, if we take the kind of flip side of the consent issue, which is about having fun, then you're golden, right? If you got, again, let's use a simple example, two people who are exploring sexual contact between each other, both for the first time, then what they need to do is keep checking in, keep making sure it's fun and go slow, right? Really don't rush. And that is going to work in so many ways, right? They're not rushing. The proceeding slowly will firstly allow for enough time for a solid foreplay where a lot of the fun is to be had. And that will mean that uh, sexual dysfunction is vastly less likely and also that you're more likely to have a really good time. So I think by paying attention, by making sure that the person you're with is capable. So if they're really, really drunk or drug affected, that's a no. Right, people in that state not in a position to provide consent. Right, if you're not capable of operating heavy machinery, it's not a good idea as far as that's concerned. Now, importantly, went just quickly on age and adolescence. The laws around the age of consent vary depending on where you live. So I'll talk about it in the state of Victoria, which is not an unusual pattern for Australia. uh, And this plays out in lots of other parts of the world. But there are differences in the kind of age brackets that play out in different parts of the world. So look to your local laws. Again, talk to your GP is usually a good kind of starting point. Uh, And there will be sexual health information available in any given country and district. So in Victoria, 12-year-olds are allowed to have sex. But they're Whoa. only allowed to have sex with people within two years of their own age, and 12 is the minimum age. Right. So a 14-year-old can have sex with a 12-year-old. A 12-year-old cannot have sex with a 10-year-old. Right. Yes, I know. It's very young. Uh, incidentally, 12-year-olds, it's not a good idea. You're too young. Right? It's just <laughs> really not a good idea. Right? You need to slow down. You're best going finding a me-shaped person to start having a conversation with figuring out exactly why you want this level of intimacy at your age, right? As a kind of generic statement, again, it's not going to apply to everybody, but it's going to apply to a very large percentage of them. Probably not a good idea. And because again, a hyper attraction to sex, when you have an underlying history of relationship problems is not unusual. A lot of folks will try and fill other problems with sex, essentially. Sex can be an amazing uh, relationship experience. And as a result, a lot of folks will try and put that in over the top of other relationship problems. Uh, and that's not a good idea. You're better off dealing with the underlying issue. And then you can come to sex as a happy, empowered, attracted person rather than as a person who's trying to mask some form of pain or insecurity. That's just not a good idea. Uh, right. So two years. the bracket. So yeah. 10 and 12. Uh, 10 no, and 12. 12 and 14. Yeah, 12 and 14. Uh, and that is the case up until the age of 16, right? So in Australia or in Victoria, 16 is the age of consent. So a 16-year-old can have sex with a 75-year-old. Oh, Don't see right. Don't see why they would, uh, but that is legally allowed. And a 16-year-old can have sex with a 14-year-old, right? Because that's within two years. Um, But uh, someone who is 15 years and 11 months cannot have sex with someone who's 18, right? right? So if it's even just one month over a two-year age gap, not allowed. And indeed, the older party in that circumstance would be committing a child's sexual offense, And if caught, and importantly, if disclosed in therapy, 
that person's going to be reported to police. And if they're found guilty, they'll be in the child sex offenders register forever. So when I'm talking to, again, generally 15-year-old young women uh, who have 18-year-old boyfriends, the thing we talk about is the value of waiting to protect his legal situation. And also, why is an 18-year-old having a relationship with a young woman who's not yet 16? And focusing on power, respect, and consent as important parts of that conversation. Uh, yeah, and often it's great, right? And they have like a deep connection and shared interests and whatever else. And often also, my young female client can identify that their partner has some deep insecurities and there's a reason why he's not dating girls his own age. And that's the thing that should run a big red flag up inside the head of any given person. It's like, ooh, are you with me for insecurity? Because that's not a great motivator again. And look, there's a balance here, right? I think loneliness is hard and it's hard for all people, right? Like all people need people. Humans are a social species. We're a pack animal. Um, but importantly, I think being primarily motivated to be with a person because you like them in all of the ways is a much better way of using your emotions to guide your relationship choices, right? Rather than, again, essentially filling a hole in your life, filling a pain in your life uh, with a relationship is a compensation. Whereas vastly better to find a relationship that works for you because it works for you. Like be guided by the positive in this stuff. Uh, I'm going to just jump around a little bit because I, I missed some pieces in, in contraception land. Um, so there are other um, contraceptive methods available. Uh, you can take the pill, right? So this is a hormone uh, therapy, uh, which keep in mind is good for regulating the menstrual cycle. So a lot of folks will be prescribed the pill, yes, for contraception, but also potentially because they're having issues with their periods. So uh, women and girls who are having problems with like endometriosis uh, or whether there are other issues there um, can jump on the pill and that will help regulate things. Uh, like I've had lesbian clients in the past where I've encouraged them to look into getting on the pill and they usually look at me quizzically and ask me if I know what lesbian means and then I tell them that I do and I'm encouraging them to help manage their period pain or challenges associated with an irregular menstrual cycle uh, and then they laugh at me because you know I'm just like a white guy and that's like an easy target in this circumstance. Um, there are longer acting contraceptions available as well. Uh, so there are some implants available. You can either have vaginal implants or you can have like a slow release contraceptive pill it's called the rod, uh, which is a, literally a small rod, which kind of slowly releases contraception directly into your bloodstream. And it acts for like three years, uh, which can be a good deal. And particularly if you don't have a great history with taking the pill on a regular basis. So if your mind is not well attuned to routine, then something like the rod um, or, or having a vaginal implant uh, is uh, potentially a really good option for you. And again, your GP can step you through all the different versions of this available. And most of these can be done in a GP practice. So, you know, for instance, the rod is done generally with like a little bit of topical local anesthetic. Um, and then it's essentially like a large needle injection uh, into the site. Uh, and most folks find that to be a really effective way of getting it done. Uh, and the point at which you are considering having children, um, it can be removed, right? So it's a, a thing that is very manageable. And again, a really good option if you struggle to maintain routine. Uh, keep in mind as well that if you're not on the pill and you have even sex with a condom and the condom breaks, right? Something to be careful of. I tell you, when you're opening condoms, don't use your teeth. Uh, and also, uh, you don't want to let them like dry out too much because basically the latex can fatigue out um, and they can snap. Uh, which clearly makes them stop working. Uh, there's the morning after pill is a concept. And so if you've had uh, sex and you think there's a risk of pregnancy or of the sex having been more unprotected than you would like, uh, sometimes you need to see a doctor. Often you can just go to a pharmacy, depending on exactly where you live, uh, and you can get the morning after pill. Uh, and I think anything within a day or two uh, is fine, but go as early as you can. So the morning after is a really good time to be taking the morning after pill. Uh, where else? We've kind of talked about consent. We've talked about insecurity. Talked oh, about. No, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are, whoa, this is just the <laughs> Tom's going to chat like broad stream. No, hold up. Firstly, just some points on the stuff that you've just downloaded. <laughs> Just a reminder, of course, you did mention it earlier, 
But even if you're on the pill or any of those other things that you've just mentioned, condoms, the only thing that'll stop you from getting an STI. True, true. Um, and also if you are looking to get pregnant, coming off those things, do speak to your gyno, your gynecologist about that stuff because sometimes it takes a little while for women's uh, cycles to step back into normality mm. as far as if you are very keen uh, to get pregnant as a matter of urgency afterwards. I just wanted to go back. You did discuss consent and insecurity as far as teenagers are concerned, mm. and I just wondered if you could bring that up and out to adult relationships as Ooh, far as very nice. insecurity. So particularly things about um if you're insecure and you're trying to keep your partner around so you keep saying yes to something you don't necessarily want Beautiful. or if you say yes for a while but then all of a sudden you stop feeling it but then you're too nervous or shy or you're feeling too much pressure and you just go along with it anyway yeah i mean that is great kind of scenario and series of questions and i mean for me that kind of falls within a broader relationship challenge of openness and respect and i'm going to suggest that if you're worried that your partner is going to leave you because they're not going to be adequately accommodating of your desires you already have a problem uh, and while it can be hard to assert your needs i mean hell in life in all contexts but certainly in romantic relationships it's an important thing to do right that relationships while wonderful potentially can be deeply challenging as well and there's nothing that stops them from being both at the same time and all relationships are hard at some stages uh it's really important that we use our words right people are not psychic i had a whole rant about that i feel like in the last session uh and so hoping that i mean let's I'll gender the language just for, for kind of shorthand it can play out in any direction but if you're worried that he is not going to want to hang around because you're refusing to do whatever oral sex as a, an example um then that's kind of a problem right you have a relationship that requires oral sex in order to function well like i would hope and again this is where we talk about therapy as a non-judgmental space but of course there's a lot of values that bleed into it that people respecting each other and being attuned to each other and being willing to meet each other's needs in balance, right? Which means sometimes one person will have more needs met, other times another person will have more needs met, depending on each person's context, right? Two people are not completely equal and the same at all times, right? Some days you'll have harder days, some days you'll have easier days. Uh, yeah, accommodating a partner is one thing. Pushing yourself into places of discomfort or disgust or things that you disapprove of because you fear the vulnerability of the relationship already a problem there and so better to face problems either with support with support of a therapist potentially but start at least with friends and family right talk to the people you can talk about and live happy in the knowledge that while i mean i feel like in the post sex in the city world a lot of the kind of like western civilizations for the lack of a better term feel like they're very sexually liberated people are still so squeamish about sex as a concept mm, right yeah. even like you lisa downs as a liberated empowered sexual person like gilled your little heart out when i said compulsive masturbation at the start of this session and that's okay Right. I think that makes you a very normal person, right? And then, yes, you're able to like drop in your very clever adultness. No, around. but sex chats are hard. Like, I still avoid sex chats because, particularly if, <laughs> because they are, no, because they specifically are, they are. usually not about sex, right? Oh, they're very good. Usually, I know, right? Very good. Them. That's nice. They're usually about <laughs> bigger relationship issues and those yeah. things are hard and you're worried about hurting someone's feelings or the other person or the other people in the relationship or, uh, you know, whether or not you, it might mean that it's not a relationship that is actually aligned or has the same values or it could be with work but then you've both got to decide to do the work or it yep. could mean that you've got some big life decisions coming up ahead of you so yeah, yeah. Yep. and so, it's hard avoid avoid right. abort 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 yeah and we talk about like bravery as though it's a good thing i mean i think folks only need to be brave when something really sucks pun not intended mm. um yeah. it's yeah like it's a hard thing pun not intended um <laughs> i know you're wrong, wrong. just like mixing the dick jokes in with the hard adult conversation <laughs> spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down pun intended um yeah and so again like i think that point that often the conversation about sex is not really about sex 
Fabulous. Mm. I think that's a really important point. And look, with enough preparation, with enough support, you can do anything, particularly in an emotional space, right? The good thing about feelings is they will change with practice. And so if you can find a way to rehearse whatever conversation you need or to practice feeling more entitled and empowered uh, in balance with the needs of your partner, it's a really great way of going about this stuff. And again, look to the creative solutions, right? So it doesn't just have to be a locked in thing between you and your partner or you and your partners. Uh, I think it can be a situation where you draw on the wisdom of your crowd, right? So again, I think as long as everyone's getting the support they need, is able to have an open and interesting conversation, then there's a great deal of fun to be had. And that's a highly desirable state of play. Mm. Just jumping around a little bit more before we hit the end of this one, because we are running out of time. I tell you, we've yep. talked a lot about sexually transmitted infections. We haven't gone into the detail of them. There's a whole raft of them and you can get them in various ways and they can play out with various experiences and various consequences importantly if you're a sexually active person uh with i mean even if you're both just one partner but certainly if you're having more than one partner or if your partner is having more than one partner get a regular sexual health check right so really good uh to figure out if anything's going wrong with your junk uh, and associated bits early in the piece treatments often very available and early treatment has a tendency to limit the impact uh, of, I mean, you know, you think about infections like chlamydia can potentially result in infertility, but if managed effectively and well, don't have to have any meaningful impact. So again, I'll steer people back to their GPs. And I tell you, in adolescence, this might be a time where you start thinking about seeing the general practitioner who isn't your parents' general practitioner, right? Yeah. This is a time in, in Australia, we have the headspace centers, uh, which, you know, there's a lot of therapists that work in headspace centers, but there are a lot of GPs who work in headspace centers as well. And those realistically, one of the big parts of the, the kind of rationale behind those centers is you have sexualizing teenagers the 16-year-olds can sign their own healthcare paperwork in the Australian system, uh, or certainly in the Victorian system. And so you can go and get yourself a sexual health check and a prescription for contraception uh, without the GP who also sees your parents knowing about it. Now, right. I think if you're a 16-year-old, try and talk to your parents about this stuff if you possibly can, particularly... If they're people who are caring and interested, even if they're a bit giggly and anxious, um, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not a good idea, right? So try not to avoid. If you've got a sense that the conversation is likely to be quite useful, even if it's awkward, that's an incredibly good idea. And for some folks, that won't be their situation, which is sad. Okay, but do go and find some help. So finally, in a really quick summary, why, Tom, is porn bullshit? Oh, God. It's just so many problems with pornography. I mean, one, this is a, I mean, look, if pornography was limited to groups of people who were exhibitionists, right? So these are folks who find sex in a public setting particularly exciting great i'd be so happy for them and the porn would all be ethical and everyone would be having a good time and there just wouldn't be many porn stars i think the reality is that in a lot of porn there's big issues around consent and there's big issues around power and coercion and unhappiness. Uh, and so I have big concerns about that industry. And it's even, you know, some of the the kind of poster boys, and I'll say boys because these were men, um, who were held up for a long time as kind of uh, ethical porn practitioners, right? So you think of like your Ron Jeremy's uh, and your James Dean's. These are two porn stars, Lisa. Um, <laughs> yeah, and both for a long time widely regarded as like, you know, serious professionals who are caring uh, and concerned and like collegial. And both have now been accused of a string of sexual offences. Uh, which is sad and worrying. So look, ethical porn exists, right? So Google up ethical porn, feminist porn, uh, there are resources available because look, everyone's going to look at porn, right? It's like the old, uh, the old joke. There, are, you know, ninety-six percent of men masturbate and four percent lie about it. Uh, so, if everyone's going to look at porn, at least look at porn that is performed uh, between willing practitioners, right? Between willing performers, um, understanding that it's an art form potentially like anything else, uh, and when done well, fantastic, and when not done well, potentially deeply damaging. Also keep in mind, it is entertainment. Often it's not even sex. And even if there is 
like sex, penetration, intimacy occurring, they have the value of the editing room and the target is for the gratification of the audience, not for the gratification of the performer. So I think porn can set some very concerning expectations, particularly in folks who haven't talked about sex as a broader topic, whether it's with parents or friends or school or wherever. Uh, so for starters, uh, a woman is more than just a collection of holes into which to place your penis. Uh, like she's a person with a personality and feelings and interests and attractions of her own. So again, when we come back to thinking about consent and attunement and fun and paying attention, that's a much better mentality that is often left out of porn. Porn's often really derogatory and potentially quite violent, uh, which for the vast majority of folks are not going to find sexy. And look, I gave a minor shout out to the, the bondage crowd um, earlier in this conversation. Uh, when done well, bondage is, I'm told, amazing, but it's done by very practiced people who are experts in conversations about consent. So it's not a thing you just kind of stumble into. It would be a slow process of experimentation and pushing your limits. Again, with teamwork is the really kind of key piece um, of the, like the, the, bondage, sadomasochistic uh, flavors of sex. Regular sex really shouldn't look like that or non-bondage flavored sex shouldn't look like that. It should be fun and respectful. Uh, and that doesn't mean, you know, choking a person unless they ask you to do that. And if you're going to, you want to practice beforehand so that it's not dangerous, right? Like that's a really important part. Uh, okay, that's a great it. place to wrap things up. I <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so wrapping up for this week, Tom, your sex talk was amazing. <laughs> it has changed my life. Uh, but let's discuss that more over once. But what do you want all us crazy people out there to know? Three top takeaways from Tom. Amazing. So uh, firstly, use a condom, right? Even if you're on different forms of contraception, it's great for preventing disease as much as is humanly possible. Uh, if you are getting into sexy adventures, then please find someone who'll be supportive if sex goes badly, which it's likely to do while you're still practicing, right? T sex is a team sport. Uh, and like any other team, things are usually weirder and less coordinated at the beginning of the practice. <laughs> and finally, if you can't talk about contraception or you can't talk about consent, then I don't think you're ready for sex. So work on that as a starting point. And then absolutely go and enjoy all the delightful, sexy adventures that you wish to. Oh my God, this has just been brilliant. Thank you so much, Tom. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Amazing. I'm going to go and calm my blushes down now. <laughs> just a reminder. <laughs> Tom doesn't dispense personal medical or sexual advice nice. or bondage advice. So all his advice <laughs> is general and you should seek professional support for your own individual circumstances. So Please. in Australia, start with your GP. Yep. We are going to put some links uh, in the podcast notes for anyone who wants to delve deeper into some of these topics. Tom will start with that further resources. Um, <laughs> and next week we are going to be chatting about boundaries, which is a great extension of the more intimate relationships discussion we've had today which i will personally be recovering for, for, from for about a week um <laughs> do some key relationship skills that we can apply to all our relationships not just the sexually intimate ones amazing thank um, you so amazing. much lisa so for much, like Tom. bringing order to my chaos <laughs> <laughs> i love it these are always amazing uh an amazing time to have an hour with you so thank you so much thanks for everyone else for joining us for all people are crazy and we will chat next time Bye for now. Bye. All People Are Crazy is a production of The Therapy People. We would appreciate your five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Why not visit us at allpeoplearecrazy.com.au or on Instagram or Facebook. If you're a psychologist interested in setting up private practice, why not visit therapypeople.com.au to see whether we can be of assistance.